Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. Uh, let's, uh, let's get going in um, our second week, week of Advent here. Uh, some of you know what Advent means. Like you're, you've, you've kind of gone through the church thing, and some people don't know what Advent means. I don't want to assume that everyone does. Um, Advent is a Latin word, comes from the Latin word Adventus, um, and it simply means the coming or arrival of a notable person. Uh, so hence, Christians specifically at this time of year, uh, we... Uh, celebrate or the, the, the birth of Christ that's already come, right? God incarnate. Uh, we talked about that hypostatic union of the, 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 uh, the humanity of man and the divinity of God in one. God incarnate. He comes to earth, and he did that 2,000 years ago. We celebrate. Uh, but we also, uh, dual purpose, we look forward to his, his eager return, his promised return to come in the future. So that is what Advent is. And we uh, we have a buzz about this time of year. I, I personally love it. I told you guys a little bit last, last week, the Ford, my, the Ford family's all in at this time of year. Um, our tree is up. We got that up last weekend. Uh, the lights, the music. Um, man, I've watched Christmas with the Cranks already. That's a good one. Uh, I love those little claymation shows, even the really, really old ones, right? We have the awesome special effects. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I love those. Those are just, those are awesome. Uh, we and my, my family, I'll let you know we're all in. We've got one of those creepy little elves on a shelf. Uh, and that thing sits on the mantle. It just stares at me all day. It just completely creeps me out. Uh, but my kids got it. We got it a few years ago. Its name is Captain Poopy Pants. Um, I, my kids, I know they got issues. Uh, they just named it that a few years ago. Uh, but we're all in. Like, I, I love this time of year. I love the buzz. So, but above all things, the reality is that you and me, uh, we're in a real scrap here for the next uh, four weeks. Um, we are in a scrap because what you and I are already being uh, pummeled with outside of these walls is a hyper-reality, right? We see a picture outside the walls of what we think is a reality, but it's really a hyper-reality. It's not real life stuff. Uh, from the, the movies, right, when they create these awesome stories and how Christmas is always just ends perfect, and it's never really quite like that, right? Uh, there's these ideas of these commercials, right? You see the commercials, you get baited in like I do, uh, that, that women uh, have this idea that every kiss begins with K, but it's really more like every kiss begins with Kmart, right? For their man, he's going to Kmart jewelry, a little different. Uh, the idea of 
Maybe uh, you think that you're going to wake up Christmas morning to a, a Lexus with a navigational screen and this red bow on it, and you walk outside. It's cold. You look outside, and your 1999 Taurus is still sitting in the driveway. Um, that's reality, right? That's more of a picture of what we really see. But marketing media, uh, they're dangerously brilliant and, uh, and tapping into this wound that we have, this want to. They create this burn in us uh, where our hearts are being baited and pled with. You've got to have this. This is what's going to satisfy you. This is the need that you have. You need the iPhone 7. You need a 60-inch flat screen. You need this. You need that. And there's this game that kind of goes on. And I, I mean, you might, I'm not dogging those things. You might get some of those things, right? Uh, but there's just this chaos that's created, um, this desire and want by the marketing and media professionals who know more about the human nature than a lot of pastors, to be honest with you. They know what makes us tick. Uh, they've created this thing called uh, a doorbuster, right? You, where literally uh, people line up to bust the door down because they have a craving in them on Thanksgiving night at 6 o'clock for a pair of Bluetooth headphones, right? They're masterful. They do it. And, and we fall prey so many times to that, that hole, that gap that, that they're trying to create in us, that wound they're pressing in. Uh, and we fall prey, and what we try to do is we try to take those temporary things and cram those into spaces that were only meant to, filled, uh, to be filled permanently. And what is temporary never feels permanently, okay? Uh, temporary things are, are okay, but it's kind of like uh, putting sugar in your gas tank. Right? It goes for a little bit, um, and then before long, you know what happens. The engine gets clogged up, and it just kind of kaputs out. It's done. Right, That's what these temporary things do. So what we're trying to do as a, as a church, as a, uh, a group, a team of pastors, is every single week for the next four weeks, as you come into these walls, is to help put lenses over your eyes. Uh, these gospel lenses that insulate us. And we're able to walk out of here and see what's really reality and not this hyper-reality. Um, and, and the only reality, the only true reality that's happening is that Christ has come and Christ is coming again. So that's what we're locking in on. And, and, and I know that a 40-minute a sermon on Sunday does not do that for you. I get that. I'm tracking. Uh, Advent guides walking through family discipleship with your, your crew at the house a daily reading, daily devotional. That's how we engage in this battle. So I want to encourage you to be doing that as well. Uh, but specifically this year, how we're going to do that? How are we putting those lenses over your eyes? Well, we're walking through Christmas hymns. Hymns, old traditional hymns that you and I uh, have become accustomed to singing in this routine cycle year after year without thought, without meaning, mouthing words on the screen, um, and not really feeling the weight that they, they carry. They, they carry so much more than we give to it. So we're trying to do that. But in addition, uh, we're trying to encourage that through the teaching of what the, the words that we sing actually mean, that it would spur us on to a, a more enthusiastic uh, congregational singing that extends past Christmas, right? That we, we, we know what we're singing. We mean what we're singing. And that would be the hope that we're going to do. Uh, today's hymn is called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. That's our bottom line. We're using those. Uh, but it is written by a man named Charles Wesley. 
1744. And uh, it was originally a, a two stanza prayer uh, that turned into a hymn. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to look at this hymn. Uh, and and let, me, let, me, yeah, let me do that real quick. Let's do that. Father, we, uh, we want to uh, get locked in on, on what's happening around us, Father. We, we were asked for your provision uh, for securing us, guarding us, um, insulating us this Christmas, not isolating, but insulating us in the, in the world that we live in, that we get underneath what's happening. We truly understand that Jesus is not just a part of the season. He's not simply a, a thing that we celebrate in addition to everything else. Father, he is the root reason for our entire worship this season, not only this season, but our life. Help us to get underneath that. Father, the only way we know to do that is not by discipline. We know it's through reading of your word, and that's what we're going to do today. Let it be the focal point of this gathering. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So before we look, um, we're going to look at this first stanza only because uh, we don't have enough time to exposit uh, an entire hymn. But when we look at hymns, they're not Scripture. Right? They're not authoritative like Scripture, but what they are is they are Scripture-inspired. So as we look through uh, the hymns, they serve as, as almost the windows that we're peering through in order to see the true biblical story uh, of the birth of Christ. So that's what we're going to look at. I want to show you uh, of where these, these hymns, these verses uh, are derived from Scripture. Let's look at the first one. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Uh, let's go through this, and I want to show you the scripture inspiration behind each one. First of all, out of the gate, uh, Wesley wrote this hymn, Come thou long expected Jesus, from two perspectives. He wanted us to view uh, the coming of Christ from an Old Testament saint who had waited for thousand years uh, before the uh, since the promise of Jesus or promise of God in Genesis three fifteen. He wants us to experience this angst of waiting for four thousand years for the actual coming of Christ. Uh, that's the first purpose. The second purpose is that we, as New Testament Christians, we expect. Uh, the second coming of Christ as a conquering king, uh, and that we would wait with this great expectancy, right? That's the language of this hymn. Let's look at the second. Born to set thy people free. Uh, Zechariah 9.11. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born? He was born to set us free. He is a liberator. Uh, he is a deliverer. He came to free slaves, you me, to buy us back, to purchase us, to pay the ransom so that you and I would live like free people. All right, let's keep going. From our fears and sins, release us. So he's given us freedom, Romans 6, 7. He's given us freedom, but what is he freeing us from? He's freeing us from our fears first. Fear, what is our fears that we have? By nature, we're born with a fear of death, terrified of death. He frees us from that fear of condemnation, that we'll ever be judged by a holy God ever again. Frees us from that. Frees us from the bondage and the penalty of sin. All of those things to live like 
free people that nothing in this life or the next would captivate us with fear. All right, let's keep going. Let us find our rest in thee, Matthew eleven twenty eight. We are a people who are longing for rest, longing in a weary world marred by sin, hopeful, looking for rest. And where would we find rest? The communication here is that we would not look for rest in anything under the sun. We would only find rest and refuge in Jesus Christ. When things are tough, when things are hard, when things are hopeless, we cling to him and we find rest in Christ. Let's keep going. Israel's strength and consolation is the fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies pointing that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come to give Israel strength and consolation. We've known much about God's people, the hardship, the persecution, the oppressing of them. They had waited a long time. They needed strength and they needed consolation. They needed comfort. And that this Christ would be the source of Israel's strength and consolation. Next passage. Hope of all the earth thou art. Matthew 12, 21. It says, Jesus didn't just come uh, to set Israel free. He is the hope of every nation, all the entire earth, every race, tribe, tongue, nation, every creed, every color, all of us, he is the savior of the world. This is why our congregation should look more racially and ethnically diverse than it actually does today, if we're being real. Because we don't serve an American God. He's a, an, a worldly God. He's a heart for all nations. It's a reason why we are a sending church. We have a passion and a heart for all tongues, tribes, nations. Because God does. There's not an American God first campaign kind of going on here. He's a God of the nations. Let's keep going. Dear desire of every nation. What do we think the desire of every nation is? If we ask the nations... What's your desire? Government, peace, uh, health care reform, law change, right? We think that a government, a president, or king can solve the desire and need for every nation. No, because the deepest desire, the deepest need of every single nation is to be saved. It's salvation. And here, Jesus Christ is the dear desire of every nation because he's the only one that can save. Last one. He is the joy of every longing heart. Joy is something that we all, uh, we want. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ in this room or not. You want joy. You want something that can sustain you in the midst of your hardships, your pain, your suffering, to hold on to, to get you through those moments and times and seasons. And you long for hope in the dark spaces. And that's what this joy is. Joy is not manufactured. Joy is not created by discipline. Uh, Joy is not created by you gripping and white-knuckling your better way of thinking. Joy is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he's the only source of true, lasting joy. All right? So that's just an idea as we teach through that when we sing these songs, uh, there's so much more depth. They carry the weight and the thunder of God with them, and we would do well to wear them. Uh, Let's go to the text. 
Uh, today, we're going to be in Luke 2, 21 through 33. Some of you are like, man, we're just now getting to the text. Yes, we're just now getting to the text. Sorry. Uh, let, me, let me set up what's going on because we're going to see this story of a man named Simeon who would have sung this song very, very well. Uh, and and here's, here's where we insert ourselves into the narrative right now. Jesus Christ is six weeks old. Joseph and Mary have had him, um, and they are traveling up to Jerusalem uh, to be obedient and follow through with the Jewish purification uh, that every Jewish little boy would have done. They would have gone through these rituals, and they're obeying the law, basically. So Joseph and Mary are showing great piety and obedience by sustaining and fulfilling what the law required. So I'm going to show you three things in this next period, uh, this next passage here that I want you to look for. The first one is this, uh, that Jesus fulfills the law and the law is fulfilled in Jesus. Okay. The second thing is, is that Jesus fulfills God's promises. And then the third thing is, is that Jesus is our sole source of salvation. Those are our three big bullets. Let's go through these things and let's look at the first one. Jesus fulfilling the law, the law fulfilled in Jesus. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Alright, so we've got three separate ceremonial practices that are happening right there. Three things that Jesus is performing and fulfilling, ceremonial things. The first one in verse 21 is the ceremonial practice of circumcision which was prescribed by Abraham back in Genesis 17 and affirmed through Mosaic law in Leviticus 12. So they would be, the, the male child would be circumcised on the eighth day, fulfilled. The second one is this, the presentation of the firstborn into the temple. All right, this would have been a Jewish law which echoed uh, the Old Testament Passover in Exodus, if you remember, right? Uh, God spared the son of Israel, the firstborn son of all of Israel. So in response, those Israelites offered up that child to the Lord. So here Joseph and Mary are coming to the temple and saying, Jesus, this, uh, this baby, you are God's. God, this is your son. They're presenting him to God. It is his child. All right, And then the third practice, as we see, is the purification of Mary. Uh, according to Leviticus 12, a woman who gave birth to a boy was ceremonially unclean for 41 days, and she could not enter into the temple until after that. This is what, according to Jewish law, when she came in after the 41st day, she would be required to bring with her a lamb for a burnt offering, and then for a sin offering, she was required to bring a, uh, a two pigeons or two turtle doves. Well, because of the poverty of Joseph and Mary, they could not afford a lamb. But the law had a provision for the impoverished and said two turtle doves or two pigeons 
will suffice. It will be okay for that if you're impoverished. So that's important. The important thing, though, what's going on deeper than this, is although Mary and Joseph could not afford an animal lamb that day, they, in fact, were holding the final Passover lamb in their arms. The one who would be, uh, who would, his blood would be shed and cut for all people who would believe in him. The final Passover lamb. They're actually holding it. Uh, although they didn't know how it was going to go down, they're holding the final Passover lamb. So three things. Here's what I believe Luke wants us to know with why I just said those things. Uh, number one, of the great obedience to the law of Joseph and Mary. The piety, the discipline, the devotion that they had. But more important is that Jesus fulfilled the law. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus' coming, new covenant, was not to abolish the law. It wasn't so we didn't have to do those things anymore. Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? And that's what you see happening in this text. Let's keep moving and let's go to the second bullet where Jesus is fulfilling God's promises. They go to the temple. Now there was a man named a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in with the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So it would have been uh, Joseph and Mary clearly knew that their child was to be the savior of the world. It had been revealed uh, to them. But it also would have been safe to assume that going into the temple that day, that no one else would have known this. this is, no one else would have known that this was in fact the, the Christ, the Messiah. They would have looked at him as just another baby boy walking into the temple because this was a ritualistic practice that occurred in the temple. There were a lot of baby boys coming through there. So they get into the temple, and this guy, Simeon, kind of comes out of nowhere. We don't know a lot about Simeon. We know he's devout. He's a righteous man. But, but he kind of comes out of nowhere. And this story is a little bit odd at first. Simeon is the guy that is uh, running around church basically saying, I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. So he, he can be viewed as the crazy guy running around. Keep in mind, it had been 400 years since a prophet had spoke. 400 years of silence where no one heard from God. And here you have Simeon. And he says, I'm not going to die till the Christ comes. You could equate this uh, guy at this point to the guy holding up a cardboard sign that says, Jesus is coming back. He's on the side of the road. He's holding that sign up. But the difference is Simeon's not crazy. Simeon has actually had a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit himself. All right, so uh, the craziness of this is, is Joseph and Mary show up. Um, it's baby dedication Sunday. That's what's happening. They walk into the temple, and they come in, and this guy, Simeon, old guy, comes out of nowhere. He literally snatches up their baby, and he looks at the baby, and he holds it up and says, I've seen you. Now I can die, right? He starts spinning around. He's singing, and man, it's just odd. 
It's just not normal temple behavior. All right? You try that in here on Baby Dedication Sunday, we got security, man. You'll get tasered. They'll take you out. We, well, we actually don't have budget for, for tasers. We have big guys that like choke slam you. That's what they'll do. But let me tell you what's actually going on is Joseph and Mary falling through the obedience of the law, walk into the temple, and they are intercepted by this godly, righteous, devoted man who has been uh, visited by the Holy Spirit himself and said, you will not die until you've seen the Christ Jesus in his face. He's waiting patiently for the consolation of Israel for a lifetime. And he grabs this baby and he looks at this baby. He says, I know who this baby is. Because the Holy Spirit said, that's him. He's the one. He picks him up and he's looking at him. He's got this joy in his eyes and his face. He's spinning around and he's bursting into song and praise to God. That's what's happening. The joy that Simeon would have felt at this moment is indescribable. Here's a man. We know he's righteous, devoted to God. So he's lived his entire life who has trusted in a sovereign God who holds him in the palm of his hand. Like God's holding him in the palm of his hand. And Simeon knows it. And now he's literally holding that same sovereign God in his own hands. He's looking upon the infant Christ face. He's marveling at the glory of God in his hands. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. And here Simeon is staring at the infant Christ. It's incredible. The joy overflowing. Imaginal. Can't, can't imagine that. So much joy that Simeon now says this. That's it. I'm done. Lord, let your servant depart from me in peace. You're letting me go. I, there's nothing else this world has to offer for me. Death, you got nothing on me. I don't, I'm not fearful of death ever again. There's nothing this life even has for me anymore. Why in the world can Simeon stand and invite death from the Creator? How does Simeon have this holy calm over him that leads him into this place, I'm ready to depart. He's not departing somewhere else. He's departing into the afterlife. Where is the source of Simeon's holy calm? Verse 30 says it because he had seen salvation. He looked upon Christ. He saw salvation in the face of Jesus Christ, this infant baby. And he says, nothing else matters. I'm, I'm good. You can take me. God, I'm I'm good. Man, listen what, listen what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says about this idea of fear of death. He says this, Death to the sinner is a curse, but to the believer it is a form of benediction. It is the gate of life. To the sinner it's a chain dragging him down to the unutterable darkness of hell. But to the saint... It's a chariot of fire bearing him aloft to the heaven of light and love. Wow. Are you ready to face death the way that Simeon is and was? 
You're, see, you're all born, we're all born with a fear of death. Ecclesiastes tell us that God has put eternity in our hearts. So there's this hole that we have a fear of death from the minute we're born. The only solution to that fear of death, for it ever being going away in your entire life, the only shot you have is when you have seen and looked upon Jesus Christ and you know who he truly is. You've seen salvation. Only then are you able to meet your creator. It's the only way you can. So I would press into you in this moment for just a, a brief pause. Are you prepared to meet your creator the way that Simeon was? If you have an ounce of fear about what would happen to you after, you've got to do some business with the Lord. You either don't have a relationship with him or you need encouragement through his word. Man, are you going to miss people? Absolutely. But do you fear Death and what's going to happen to you afterwards. The only way is when you've tasted and seen the face of the infant Christ. You see who he, Jesus for who he truly is. And nothing else will you ever be able to relinquish that fear of death. Man, thinking about Simeon, he had uh, what he had in his faith was uh, unbelievable. Uh, he had far less um, information, revelation than what you and I have, right? He didn't live to see uh, this infant baby Christ grow to be a man at 33 years old and go to the cross and would die and suffer for the sins of his people. He didn't see that. He didn't see three days later that that Christ would be resurrected from the dead and live again in flesh and bone. You and I, we have far more revelation than Simeon. We have the eyewitness accounts, the holy word of God, the full canon of scripture. Remember, Simeon didn't have New Testament. We have all of it. We have church history. We have eyewitness accounts of the crucifixion, which historically would say it's true as well. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's rooted in history. We have all of these accounts Simeon had all this faith, and he had not seen what you had seen and what I had seen and, and read through the Scriptures. So if Simeon can wait with a great expectancy, a long lifetime of the return of Christ or the first coming of Christ, we, too, ought to have great faith and expectancy that Jesus Christ is coming again. All right, look at this passage in Hebrews eight or 9.28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ is coming again. He's going to come in a real physical way. How is he going to come? He's going to come roaring with the thunder of God with him. Look at 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of command within the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. He, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Leave that up for just a second. Because... Here's what Paul just said. 
that that passage right there, the roaring thunder of God coming, Jesus Christ descending, he said that's supposed to be an encouragement to you, to me, believers in Christ. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers. Believer, does this encourage you or does this strike fear in your heart? If it strikes fear in your heart, once again, you got to go back. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or have you prayed a prayer? You've been baptized. You've gone through the religious ceremonial aspects. But yet in the deepest parts of your heart, you tremble thinking about your death. And you tremble and you quake in your boots at the return of Christ. Listen, I don't want that for you. I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. But I am telling you to evaluate your own heart and cry out to God if you're fearful of those things and say, save me. See, that's where Jesus comes in. He invades that dark, deep uh, hurt, that fear. That's where he comes into. And you just cry out, save me. And he takes over. And the grace of God covers you. That is my hope. And that is my prayer in reading that passage. Some of you are like, man, it's been 2,000 years. Really? Is he really coming back? He, he did this 2,000 years ago, and he promised to. Let me make known to you that God, I've said often, he knows exactly what kind of history must take place in order to fulfill his purpose. So I'll tell you why he's not back yet. I'll tell you why God tarries in his return. It's because his mission's not complete yet. There are more to be rescued, more to be saved, more to be delivered, more sheep across the world that are meant to be gathered. And he's not going to come back until they're all gathered together. That is why he tarries. Until his mission is complete, we are the bride of Christ waiting, waiting for the wedding supper of the Lamb where all of this comes to complete ending. We rise with him in glory. Let's keep going and wrap up this text. Because the third aspect here, as I've said, Jesus is the sole source of salvation. Theologically, uh, solus Christos, meaning that salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Let's read this in this passage. And his father and his mother marveled at what it was said about him. Like, this guy knows who he is. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. It's so easy to get caught up in the sentimental aspects of the Christmas, the nativity, the story, uh, nine-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus in a manger kind of scene, isn't it? The wise men, the presents, the gifts. It's so easy to get caught up in that nostalgia the cuteness of baby Jesus. But there's nothing cute about that passage. Verse 34, what did Simeon say to Mary? This child, this baby boy has been appointed for the rise and the fall of many in Israel for a sign that will be opposed. There's nothing cute about that. See, we're all born enemies of God. Hostile to God, not good people until we mess it up. We're already enemies out of the gate. And we clearly know, if you read any part of your Bible, that enemies of God, they don't get his mercy. Enemies of God get judgment and wrath. They're handed over to the hands of a wrathful God. That's what happens. But what 
what Luke is telling us here is that the gospel is where good news, good news invades bad spaces. It invades that spot right there. And God basically says this, I'm drawing a line in the sand. This baby boy right here is appointed for the rise and both the fall of many in Israel. That if you, as I draw this line, if you get behind this baby boy over here, if you believe upon him, see him for who he is, bow down, worship to this baby boy, you will rise to everlasting life. He's drawing a line in the division of human history right here. But he says, if you don't, those over here that oppose, that doubt to the agnostic, to the blasphemer, to the doubter of who this child is, the appointed, you will be appointed to fall. Fall into the hands of a wrathful God in his judgment. Luke is saying, I'm dividing human history right down the line. Everybody on this side will rise, and everyone on this side is going to fall. This baby boy is different than all the other baby boys. Wow. Wow. You see, the birth of Christ is the source of the greatest division in human history. But he's also the source of the greatest union in history. Union of the church, a people that would believe and surrender upon his name, and then division for those that would oppose. But either way, he's going to accomplish the greatest unity or the greatest division. It's amazing. There's nothing cute about that story, right? It's a truth. It's a reality. Let us, um, as a church, and let's not get caught up in the cuteness and the nostalgia of the Christmas story. The greatest hope in all of this thing is that this baby boy is the only hope we have. He is the only salvation we could ever, ever experience in Christ Jesus. Who, in your life this Christmas, needs to hear that? No doubt. As you engage family, as you should engage family, you're going to encounter someone that needs to hear that. They're going to have to do it. And it's not the job of anyone else, no pastor, no church, that falls on you to tell them the most amazing good news ever in their entire life and get locked in on the meaning of Christmas. Man, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you today. And if you don't know this Christ that we're talking about today, and you don't truly understand who he is, that you fear death, you fear condemnation, you're not ready to meet your creator, all of those things encompassing. If that's you, come talk to somebody in the back. Come out the double doors. Go just say, I just need to talk. That's all you got to say. I'll be glad to do that with you guys. Let me pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for unwrapping an incredible, incredible story. What a man named Simeon. He just comes on the scene. We don't know a lot about him, Father, but you gave us just enough to know what we needed to know. He was devoted. He was righteous. He had waited patiently for the Messiah to come. And he was faithful. And we know that he experienced salvation because he saw it in Christ. Father, there's great teachings in this passage today. 
None of it has power if you, Holy Spirit, do not come in and penetrate our hearts and move us to conviction, obedience, joy. Father, we invite you to do that. Holy Spirit, come into place and move people if they need to be moved. Comfort people that need to be comforted. Father, we love you. We celebrate you today in many, many ways. We pray these in the precious name of Christ. Amen.